You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Well, I'm here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Here's the schedule uh, for the next three days. Normal podcast today. No podcast tomorrow on Thanksgiving, but we're going to have a lot on today's podcast, so consume it as you will. I mean, you could probably listen to some of it today, some of it tomorrow, depending on your travel schedule, but we will be back early Friday um, with the normal podcast for Friday with the Skins Dallas recap uh, of the Thanksgiving Day game, and that will be out early. Not as early <laughs> as we've been doing on a Monday following a game, but early enough I on the say, day after Thanksgiving. I will say uh, a show right after Thanksgiving, after we've uh, consumed liberally, would be an entertaining show. Yeah, well, we'll be in here very early on Friday morning to get it done and out for you. Uh, so it's there on Friday morning. If you're on the road today, uh, be safe. Uh, if you're staying home like me for this holiday, congratulations, because it is easier. Uh, the Wizards trailed by 19 at the end of the first quarter last night. By 24, they trailed midway through the second quarter. They got booed as they went into the locker room at halftime. And in the midst of all of the reported and apparently true ter- turmoil uh, off of their 5-11 and 11 start, uh, the Wizards' season turned around on a chilly Tuesday night in November. The season, an era for that matter, was on the brink of coming to a crashing halt. The franchise was on the verge of blowing the roster up. Columnists, columnists in this town, some were calling for Ted Leonsis to sell the team. And then, on that Tuesday night, Aaron, November 20th, remember that night at Capital One Arena in Chinatown? Something happened. John Wall and Bradley Beal put their differences with each other aside. They put their differences with their teammates, with their head coach and general manager aside. And on that night in November, they grew up right before our very eyes. They combined for 57 points, 40 of them coming in the second half. John Wall made five three-pointers on the night. 30 points, eight assists, two steals, two block shots, and just one turnover for John Wall on that November night. Beal finished with 27, seven assists, just two turnovers. On a night that was so bleak early on, the Wizards roared back, outscoring a Clipper team that had been sizzling hot coming into the game. They had won five in a row, seven of eight. They were cruising, about to put the Wizards out of their misery. But then, the Wizards outscored the Clippers 71-45 to in the second half on that night, saying to their opponent, not tonight, not here, not on our watch. And it all turned. They would go on, as you recall, the remainder of that 2018-2019 season to play inspired basketball, finishing the season 47 wins, 35 losses, making the playoffs as a five seed, taking Indiana out in six games, shocking Boston in that seventh and deciding game in the Eastern Conference semifinals, and then in the Eastern Conference finals, taking Philadelphia out in six games, clinching the series and their first trip to the NBA Finals in 40 years, where they met the Golden State Warriors. Now that didn't turn out so well, but still what a season. And it all started on that November night 
At halftime, something changed, and John Wall and Bradley Beal became men and became leaders. Okay, back, <laughs> back to reality. They did win the game. They won the game. I tweeted out, uh, you know, the, the Candace Buckner in her story um, about what happened at that practice last week. Um, also said and had someone quoted as saying they just had their best practice of the season on Monday. I don't know if you read that por- portion, and I don't know if Tommy and I, I can't remember if Tommy and I talked about it, but I was like, okay, best practice of the season followed by down 40-21 to 21 at the end of the first quarter and down 24 midway through the second quarter. But they, they won the game, and Wall and Beal played well. Um, just seven team turnovers in the game. That's really good for them. They also shot 39 free throws to just 18 for the Clippers. Wizards were favored last night at home over the Clippers. They were a one-point favorite. I looked at that right before tip, and I almost fired on them. I almost did, but I was like, I don't think that's going to work out. Bet- betting on the Wizards never leads to happiness. No. Um, interesting thing last night was that Markeith Morris was not in the starting lineup for the first time in a long time, and Kelly Oubre started. Oubre had five fouls in 12 minutes. Um, and speaking of Markeith Morris, he had a very interesting comment uh, for the anonymous source coming from the team who leaked the details about what, what went on at that practice last week, the practice where Wall um, MF'd the coach and Beal had some words for the general manager. Uh, this was Markeith Morris after the game. Quote, the comments that are coming from the locker room, they are effed up. That don't happen in other sports, so it's messed up, closed quote. Well, it does happen in other sports, but – he says that that's the issue right now is no one knows who that leak was. Uh, Got to find out who that leak was. Uh, the Wizards are in Toronto on Friday night. Seven of the next ten for the Wizards are on the road. All right, the Redskins and the Cowboys tomorrow on Thanksgiving Day. You don't really have to say much more than Redskins, Cowboys, Thanksgiving Day. The two teams will play tomorrow for division supremacy at least after 11 games. Um, You are left with this, really. This is right now the biggest game of the year in the NFC East. There could be others against the Eagles to come in December, but it doesn't look like either of those two Philadelphia games, based on the way Philly's been playing, will have as much juice to it as the game tomorrow. Skins-Cowboys tomorrow is a legitimate big one. It may not be 9-1 versus 9-1, like we saw on Monday night. But Redskins versus Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day, it always rings important. Uh, and tomorrow's got juice to it with first place on the line, Colt McCoy getting the start, Dallas resurgent over the last two weeks, and now Dallas, the heavy betting favorite to win the division. Did you see the way those odds changed? Yeah, I did. Dallas is minus 160 to win the division. The Redskins are plus 325 to win the division. Dallas in one week beating Atlanta, Redskins losing to Houston, and losing their starting quarterback have Vegas putting Dallas as a heavy betting favorite to win the division. I'll tell you this too. You know, the Redskins and Eagles are essentially the same right now in terms of odds to win the division. I've seen exactly the same. The Redskins are being shorted now the rest of the year. Um, I'm surprised at that difference 
because it speaks to the loss of Alex Smith and it speaks to Dallas winning two in a row, including both games on the road at Philadelphia and at Atlanta. And all of the sudden, you know, what Amari Cooper's given them, what Zeke, what Zeke Elliott's been doing, et cetera. But, um, yeah, the Cowboys are the heavy betting favorite. Now, if the Redskins win tomorrow, that will shift the other way immediately because the Redskins would then be 7-4, and four, the Cowboys would be 5-6, and six, and the Redskins would have, virtue of their sweep of the Cowboys, a three-game lead over Dallas, which would make the Cowboys now uh, a long shot to win the division. That's how much it could change with one win tomorrow by the Redskins in Dallas. Cooley's coming up. Uh, Andy Poland's coming up. We think Scott Van Pelt will be with us as well. Let's get to Skins beat Cowboys if. All right, the Redskins will beat the Cowboys if they stop the run like they did in the first game when they played the Cowboys a month ago. Look, they held Zeke Elliott to 33 yards on 15 carries in that game at FedEx Field, 2.2 yards per carry. He's gone for 273 in his last two games on 42 combined carries. He averaged six and a half yards per carry in wins over the Eagles and the Falcons. They need Zeke Elliott to be three point something, not six point something in this game, not even four point something in this game. They may not be able to hold him to 2.2 something, but a 3.4, 3.5, somewhere in that neighborhood, gives them a chance. If he is at 5-plus in this game, 4.5-plus in this game, Skins aren't going to win. Uh, I mean, they could with you know a plus 3 in the turnover margin, but they've got to stop Zeke Elliott tomorrow. They must make Dallas like they did in their first game, one-dimensional. If they can do that, they've got a chance to win the game. If they don't, their chances are slim and none. The Redskins are going to beat the Cowboys if Colt McCoy gives them something that they haven't had offensively with Alex Smith. In the first Dallas game, the Skins punted six times on ten drives. Alex Smith completed just 14 balls for 178 yards. They were 3-for-12 on third down and scored just 13 points offensively in that game. When Colt came in on Sunday against Houston, it looked different. It did. He's going to take more risks. He's also going to make more throws that need to be made, that weren't being made, that aren't necessarily high-risk throws either. I don't think Colt McCoy is going to be some magical fix to the offense. I don't. But I do think that the offense will, at the very least, be more productive. The Redskins will beat the Cowboys if they can get off the field defensively on third down. I bet you don't know this. I I mentioned it briefly on Friday's podcast, last Friday's podcast. The Redskins are now 26th in the league on third downs defensively. 26th in the league. You know, this vaunted, improved, some of you thought elite defense at some point this year is 26th in the league on third down right now. Not good. And Dallas in their last two wins against the Eagles and the Falcons, 15 of 29 on third down offensively. Why? Because Zeke Elliott's running the ball down in distance Uh, They're staying in good down and distance situations, and Prescott's making plays, either runs or throws. The Skins have to be better 
on third down than they've been recently and have to keep Dallas from being what they've been offensively on third down. Or Colts not going to get many chances on offense. The Cowboys have dominated time of possession in their two wins because they've kept the chains moving on third downs by completing and converting over 50% of their third downs the last two weeks. Bet that's a surprising number to some of you, that the Redskins are near the bottom of the league on third, in third down defense right now. Uh, this is going to be a theme the rest of the way. The Skins will beat the Cowboys if they win the turnover battle. I know it's cliche, but for this team, it's much more than cliche. It's necessary. Now, they won the turnover battle. You may be a little bit confused by the loss to Houston and some of those backbreaking interceptions, uh, the one backbreaking interception by Alex Smith, the, the pick six, the 101-yard interception returned by Reed uh, in the game Sunday. But the Redskins got three back. They were plus one on Sunday. They've got to win the turnover battle in these games. They can't be on the minus side. They just don't have much margin for error. Now, maybe Colt McCoy will resurrect his career and become a quarterback that we've never seen him be. Being super efficient, moving the team, making big plays. Uh, he's capable of making plays. I'm not su- suggesting he isn't. I just think that you know, over a long haul, it won't be enough. But maybe we're about to see a new Colt McCoy, and they can overcome losing the turnover battle. I doubt it, though. they got to win the turnover battle. Lastly, the Redskins will beat the Cowboys. If Jay Gruden is an asset, not a liability, like he was on Sunday at the end of the game, these games, and I have a feeling tomorrow's game, is going to be one of these games that comes down to a play here, a decision here or there, a penalty here or there. Jay Gruden's, you can't end up with two timeouts used in the third quarter because they didn't get a play in. You can't have Jay Gruden do what he did defensively, not knowing when and how to use his timeouts most effectively to give his team more time and more snaps on offense. Big, big response game for Jay Gruden on a short week after a devastating injury on Sunday and a very hurtful loss. All right, let's get to Chris Cooley. Uh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? You, you spend Does Maddie come down with you? Does the family come down with you to Dallas and share it with you, or do you do it on Friday when you get home? I, f- I forgot how that works with you. <laughs> we do it on Friday when we get home. So you want to come over to Thanksgiving on Friday? Uh, sure. Okay. All right, I'll see you then. Cool. I'll, uh, what time? I'll I'll send you a message, but probably around one or so. Probably around one. It might change. Yeah, though. I mean it's Thanksgiving. It's it's kind of when everyone gets there. You eat, right? That's what you do. Okay. All right. Send me a text. I th- I think I can make it. Okay. Bring Kara. Okay. <laughs> what are you thinking right now? You're thinking the chances are slim and none that I show up, or none? Uh, I think there's uh, 25 percent. No chance. <laughs> we have family in town. I won't be able to do it. Bring your family. Yeah, really? It's all 17 of them. Yeah, I'm super famous. I'm sure they'll be excited to see me. You are super famous. We actually had a co- uh, my bo- my boys maybe I don't know three weeks ago had a conversation about um, who was more famous. I swear to God, this was a conversation. One of the boys brought up the fact they 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 asked me. They said, "Who gets more attention when you're out with them, Cooley or Scott?" And I said, "Well, it depends on where we are." Like, you know, if we're at the University of Maryland for a basketball game, Scott gets just 
mobbed like you wouldn't believe, like he's a rock star. But if we're at a Redskins event, it's it's unbelievable the way people react to Cooley. And then they said, well, what about Riggins or what about Tony or what about some of these other people? But, it, you know, I, I, I didn't really have a good answer other than to say it all depends on where we are. But I It would, all depends on the spot you're at, man. But I think Scott has nearly 3 million Twitter followers, so I think he's probably more famous than you are, uh, you know, nationally. Then go to his house for Thanksgiving. I don't. I don't that's care a, where you go. Okay, that's a, that's a good idea. Jeez. That's a good idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've been invited yet to his house. All right, let's get to uh, this football team. Uh, I wanted to start with the play that Alex Smith got injured on. What happened on that play with the blitz coming from the safety where he got sacked and he got knocked out for the year? What specifically happened? Who was specifically at fault for that? So I've I've went through this a couple times on this little podcast that I have, and I want to I've tried to do this in this way. I want to make this very clear. There are a lot of different ways that you can account for six man protection. There are certain things that go in every week where there are coaching points that could change things. I'm not part of that meeting. As I understand six man protection, and as as I were, would bet on it. Essentially, what the line does is they're responsible for the known rushers and the Mike linebacker. You have a little meeting when you install and you you identify known rushers. Those would be your defensive line and i.e. if on a third down, a guy like Merciless, who's a backer with a 59 number, would always be a rusher. You would never have him classified as, as a potential linebacker. He'd be a known rusher. Outside of that, the quarterback will call the mic. Alex called the mic. He saw what looked like blitz off the left side with Tyron Matthew down. So he tagged a mic. So the line is responsible for the known rushers, the four down, and the mic. Those are five guys. They're responsible for those five. The back is responsible for everybody else. Now, maybe they had something where they were going to fan the backside in any certain look. You know, teams coach it up different versus different blitz looks. I don't know. Essentially, I would make a a strong assumption that the back – did not see the nickelbacker off the backside. And the back was Byron Marshall in that spot, right? But I hate doing this because, my gosh, Byron Marshall, he's responsible for a sack. He's responsible for a pressure. It's not his fault that Alex broke his leg. Well, uh, no, no, everybody, I know, but everybody that's the way it sounds. That. No, it doesn't. It doesn't well, sound it does. that way. Well, t- I, t- I feel like I, I feel no. like it sounds that way. No, no, nobody, nobody, you know, nobody smart thinks that. They, uh, they, I, I pointed out that it was Byron Marshall in part because I was going to ask you why Marshall got more snaps than Capri Bibbs in the game. Uh, well, Capri on Bibbs Sunday. missed a blitz pickup early in the game and was also responsible for a sack. Okay. It wasn't a blown protection. He just got fooled by the way Tyron Marshall rushed and w- jumped outside and got picked by his line when Marshall came back inside. So he had a couple sacks that weren't offensive line sacks. Two sacks were back sacks. All right, let's assume that it was Byron Marshall who didn't pick up uh, the, the blitzer. Um, was there anything Alex could have done to uh, unload the football? Was there any quick check down opportunity to get rid of the ball, avoid the sack, which ultimately knocked them out of field goal range, at least Jay's field goal range going in that direction. And now we get to what you're really concerned about, the three points. No, I'm not. Mm-hmm. No, uh, was, mm-hmm. there, was there a place for Alex, Alex to go? Let's, let's finish up the play so, itself. It, to, to answer your question, there's always a place for the quarterback to go if he feels like he's hot. He just wasn't hot. Okay. He, he had the blitz picked up. And so, yeah, there's always somewhere for him to go with the ball. 
I was watching the Rams game on Monday night, which was amazing, by the way. And they were talking about how great Gurley was in protection. And there was a blitz from a backer that Goff didn't even have to react to, and they made the point. Goff doesn't even have to react because he trusts that his back has picked this up. He knows this is picked up. Alex shouldn't have had to look to see that there was a blitz off that side. It was picked up. Okay. So well, there shouldn't there shouldn't have been a question. Now, had two come off the the left side where he was initially looking and saw blitz, then he would know if those two came, anyone off the other side is going to make it hot, which would make it a zero blitz. Then he would have to get rid of it immediately. No, there was nowhere that he needed to go. He thought it was picked up. All right, what do we know about the pick six, the 101-yard interception return that turned a game that was going to be either 10-10, 14-10 Redskins into a 17-7 deficit? What happened on that play? Jordan Reed is running a corner stop route. So he's going to run about 10 yards, and he's going to break towards the corner. At about three yards, he's going to stop and swirl back inside. They call it a swirl route is the name of that route. So it's, it's tagged and called a swirl route. Alex just misses it. He throw he overthrows Jordan. Uh, maybe he has an expectation that Jordan will take it a step further before he sets it down. But I think Jordan found a good hole to sit. And the last thing I would say about this, though, is and I and I've been in Jordan's spot where you run a route, you separate, you have an opening. He should it should have been a touchdown, and then the quarterback misses it. I've done this with Donovan. Stand there, feet in stone, and put my arms out and go. Great throw, bro. The thing is, is it the ball is past him and he still hasn't moved his feet. Now, I don't think he's going to catch that ball or even deflect the interception. But if he jolts towards the pass, he may end up making the tackle. Say so that, that's what we know about the pick. Say, say that last part again. Sorry. If you watch it again, when the ball is thrown, Jordan never moves from his spot as if to show, I'm here, I'm open. You threw it poorly. If he makes a hard attempt outwards to get the ball, I said, I don't think he's going to make the catch. And I said, I don't think he'll break up the interception. But he end up, he may end up making that tackle right there. I see. So do you think Jordan got to that point where he's like, you got to be kidding me. I'm wide open for a touchdown and the ball's not here and I'm not going to go back and go for it? Only he can answer exactly what he was thinking at that moment. But the ball's past him and his feet still haven't moved. So, you okay. know, what um, do you think? Uh, well, I, I think there was a moment of frustration, yes. Okay. And I I think Okay, I want to go back to then um I just want to make sure that I understood the beginning of the conversation because you said initially that Jordan's responsibilities is to go f- towards the corner, but then he's supposed to find that spot, sit it down and curl back in, which is yeah, what he did. This is not okay. a choice route. There's no option on this. Got There's it. no decision to be made by Jordan. The only reason Alex may have missed it is because he may have thought Jordan may have pushed a little a little bit deeper to the corner. They're not choosing to sit because of leverage. Now, okay. you can look at an earlier interception where the same type of thing, Jordan sat down on what was an actual corner route, and Alex overthrew him because he thought he was going to run to the corner, and it was a pick against the Green Bay Packers, and that one was on Jordan. This one's not on Jordan. There's no choice. There's no option. There's no decision to be made. Jordan is sitting this down. Okay. Uh, I'm sure of Jay that. Gruden had mentioned that there was some pressure in Alex's face and that perhaps it, it made for a difficult throw. True or not? They had an end tackle stunt, and Ty Inseki collapsed really hard with Jadavian Clowney, was not able to pick up the looping defensive tackle. But I don't think that that was 
I would not put that on the throw being that bad. I've seen Alex make throws with pressure in his face. Okay. It didn't help. What about this? Didn't help. What about the second interception? Second interception is interesting because he doesn't necessarily have anything available. They're in that two-minute situation. He's trying to make something happen. And he throws a ball back across his body as he's rolling right. And I, I, I would say, you know, that's a throw that he shouldn't make. It's a risky throw. And it's a hell of a play by the linebacker. I, it just depends on who you're coaching. If you're coaching the running back in that situation, you say you've got to fight through contact to get to that ball, at least break it up. If you're coaching the quarterback, you're going to say you don't throw that ball. And if you're coaching the linebacker, you say, wow, what a hell of a play. After that second interception, Jay Gruden was asked in the postgame press conference what he said to Alex when he came off the field because there was a shot of the two of them. Um, you know, I, Alex appeared to be upset. Jay may have appeared to have been upset to some anyway. But the quote was this from Jay Gruden after the game. I just wanted to make sure he was okay. We had a couple of issues with the play getting in. I thought I got it in way early. Uh, and we weren't getting it in, and he wasn't hearing me. Uh, I was just making sure he was okay, and it's, and in his mind was okay, just staying positive. There was a lot of football game left. People throw interceptions all the time. Um, the my Tommy said yesterday he believes that it was possible that Jay was at some point was really getting to the point where he was frustrated and that a benching for performance wasn't out of the question at some point, um, whether it was in that game or, you know, tomorrow's game or at some point in the future. Do you agree no, with that? I, I disagree with that. I, do. I thought Alex was playing well uh, up until the point where he threw the couple interceptions. I, I actually liked the way he was playing. He made some big-time throws. He had a couple huge drops. He had a couple routes that I thought were short, like the Michael Floyd drop on the sideline that he high-pointed. That was short. We went through a bench route last week on your podcast, and it was the exact same thing. He's short, so that ball's high and wide, you know, but he almost gets it anyway. No, I thought Alex was playing well up until the point where he threw the couple picks. And the second one is just a, him taking a risk that maybe he would want back. The first one's a missed throw. Neither are missed reads. Right. I, I And the play, by the way, the play getting in, the play is an easy play. I'm pretty sure that they have corner out on both sides, so the play would have really essentially came into his helmet as, you know, some form of double right to Jed Obama. Is that the <laughs> Should play? Have been easy. Is that the play call? I'm pretty sure that's – I. As I as I think about it, it's, I think it's it's mirrored routes on both sides, so it would have just been one. Any word. other presidents used in in calls? No. Okay. Um, Colt McCoy's performance coming in. Uh, how would you describe it? I thought that Colt gave some energy to the team, to the stadium, in a moment where everyone really needed it. Concerned about Alex, he comes in, he has a zone read, which he probably should have handed off, but he pulls it, and I loved it. Gets out to the edge, the big throw to Jordan Reed was awesome you know I thought he looked a little bit like Kirk last year at times with the ball immediately out he's just so decisive you know I didn't like the didn't like the last drive I didn't like the throw to Josh Doxson and it wasn't like he was perfect throughout but he he played with energy I thought he played with decisiveness he knew exactly what he was doing and really the way I described this yesterday the way I think about it is almost like the year Todd Collins came in you know it's it's a quarterback who's been a part of an offense for so long that he just knows it like the back of his hand. And he may not be the right long-term answer. He may not be a full-time starter. He may. Who knows? We'll see. 
I've been wanting it. I've been wanting to see what would happen for the last four years. I think everybody's had that intrigue in the back of their mind. What's going to happen? But, uh, you know, it's almost like Collins when he came in. He just knew it exactly. Who's uh, who's going to benefit the most from Colt McCoy being quarterback? Colt McCoy. What about <laughs> what about players offensively? I don't I don't know, man. I, I, you saw him want to go to Reed. I think you, you're going to see. I I can't answer that. I think that I think that Colt's going to take more shots. So I think everyone essentially benefits a little bit because you'll see if they're going to win on routes or not. Do you think the offense is going to be more productive? Yeah, so I do. I think it's going to be, at least for the time being, more productive. Now there, there's going to be more risks taken, but I think it's a, it's a, at least to score more a game. All right. Uh, the league, by the way, um, came out yesterday, yesterday and admitted that Josh Doxson's play, that throw to him, it should have been pass interference. Oh, yeah. That's a tough <laughs> I mean, one. Yeah. Uh, of course it should have been, especially given that they had just called Josh Norman for a defensive hold with limited contact after the quarterback had already begun to scramble. Um, a couple of things uh, defense, defensively. What's happened to their run defense here over the last few weeks? It's really not as bad as it seems. I went and watched a lot of the film, and they had quite a few carries between you know 10 and 15 yards, three or four carries that really established what was that yards per carry. They had a lot of stops. In, in terms of run defense for minus two, minus three, you know, at the line of scrimmage. They did it was like a fifty fifty and, and really they run blitzed on a lot of downs. So that it it was like a fire zone type of blitz and when you run away from the blitz, which is a, a lot of the time what the quarterback will do, will check his run play away from the blitz, you're asking linebackers to scrape really hard to get to the backside of those runs, and I think Mason was slow on a couple of them and missed a couple tackles on on a couple of those those run plays. And you know the the end was soft on one over two of them. But what what they did in the game as far as run defense doesn't concern me at all. I, I think those are those are plays that you make a tackle on at the line of scrimmage and and you're a half a second faster just one player. You're fine. It's not three or four guys getting blown out of out of their gap or blown off the line of scrimmage. It's it's some run blitz plays where one guy's got to make a play. He's the open player. And a couple times it was Mason. Um, you know, part, part of that, I think, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the Tampa game, and, and a lot of that was just sort of missed tackles. I mean, remember Swearinger had right. um, somebody in the backfield, and then uh, Jonathan Allen let their running back sort of break a tackle and get a big run. But Tevin Coleman had his way, and so did uh, uh, Smith. Number forty-five, right uh, for Atlanta. They, so it's, yeah, they they did a really good job. Twenty-five. Atlanta did, I think, was that zone run really stretching our line and, and getting them out of place. And I thought playing another zone run type of team like Houston, Manuski came back with a really good game plan and some good blitzes to prevent some of that stuff. They just missed some plays. They they had plays. There were plays to be made in the run game where it shouldn't have been. They should have fifty less yards. What about the rush offense? It's taken a bit of a step back here in recent weeks. What's wrong with uh, running the ball? Why aren't they able to run the ball more effectively? There's just not a true cohesiveness up front with the, with the schemes that they're running. And it, I think some of that is is the new players in, in. And, you know, when you're trying to run a lot of inside stuff and downhill stuff, you really need to get movement. And I think Bergstrom and Ruye are, are good players for sure, but they're not movement players, so – both of them, I would describe both of those players as way better stretch zone players. They're they're Shanahan fit players, and so they're not getting a ton of movement up front. 
you know, and then we've been, we've just been off some things. You know, Cooper was off a couple times on double team fits. There's just you got to tighten it up, buddy. You're missing some assignments. You're missing some blocks up front. It's not terrible, but I think cohesiveness overall and understanding of what they want to do to execute against fronts is is going to be key. And Houston did some things as well. They're they're a good front. They do some things. You as you watch the game, you watch Clowney jump inside all of a sudden right at the snap, and that makes things hard because you got to communicate quickly. I, I don't think that our run offense is going to be some explosive. 175 yards a game run offense. I just I can't see that happening. You just have to run it enough as you as you move forward to create. And and I think with Colt, one of the one of his assets being a, a boot type of quarterback and you know wanting to create some more play action and opportunities for him, you have to be able to run some outside zone or some stretch stuff where you get linebackers to flow. Right. Or they have to be able to go with more play action off that sweep play where they're pulling a couple guards, which is really unsound in terms of pass protection. So you got to figure out some answers to that in play action. But if you can run it enough to create some play action, I think they're going to be just fine. How much does the offense miss Thompson and Crowder? And which of the two, do you have a, 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 an opinion on which of the two they miss more? Well, I think until you get Trey Quinn back, it was probably Crowder because Crowder was going to have more of an impact on the passing game. But that said, before I knew Thompson was going to miss a month, I thought he would – without Quinn or Crowder, I would have just played Chris Thompson in the slot. And so I could say that Chris Thompson would have been more versatile, at least for me, if I were running my offense. Now, I don't know if they would have played him in the slot anymore. Just yeah. But you watch what the Bears do with Tariq Cohen. Right. They play him everywhere. Everywhere. And they'll play him at the same time with Jordan Howard. Same thing as the Saints. They, it's, they have Ingram and Kamara, but they don't just need one on the field. They'll have two on the field a ton. So I think Chris Thompson is, is so versatile that you end up missing him as well. So right now, obviously, with Quinn back and and some of the things they have at receiver, I think Thompson. All right, let's get to a couple things um, that I've saved here for, for sort of the end. Uh, Jay Gruden, I know you probably sp- spent time talking about it on your podcast. Do you think he has any idea at this point on Wednesday morning how he mismanaged the clock prior to the two-minute warning and the impact that it had on his team's chances to win the game at the end? I can't really say how he feels or doesn't feel about it. You know, he's answered a couple times in terms of saying, what are you talking about? What do you mean didn't call time? That's what people do. So his answer pretty much says he – did it the way he wants to do it. Now, the way you and I would have done it is different because we would have called timeout for the two-minute warning, and I'm sure you've done the math here, and I did the math on my podcast, and essentially calling timeout before the two-minute warning saves you 18 seconds. Is Bruce Allen involved in helping him call timeouts? I know he is very much involved in the challenge decisions, on replay challenge decisions. Is he I don't involved? know. I don't think so, but I don't know. Who who is helping Jay with that? Is anybody helping Jay with I, this? I don't know the answer to that. You really don't. Uh, do I seem like I'm a liar? <laughs> I just I'm surprised. <laughs> I, you, I would tell you if I knew. I'm surprised really, you haven't asked at this point. I, I, you, listen, I've done this with Jay about the Kansas City game for two hours, hanging out 
with when you call timeouts and when you don't, how he used his timeouts. It's just not a fun game for me to play with the head coach. I don't enjoy it. Okay, let's move I'll on. Just let him. Let's move on to something way. else. Why? Why didn't he kick that fifty-four-yard field goal after the injury? Do you think just everybody was in shock over the injury and it was fourth and long and he just sent his punter out there, or is it because Dustin Hopkins wasn't healthy? And then well, of Dustin course, Hopkins was sent out there to kick a sixty-three-yarder against the wind with eight seconds left in the game. Yes, so he, I guess don't he have was. An, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I think he would have made the fifty-four-yarder. Yeah, I mean, it would have been a big one. Would have made it seventeen to ten. I, I, here, let me answer the question in this fashion. After the first two drives, your defense really settled down. You had Deshaun Watson flustered. You'd started to really stop the run game, and I'm assuming he said. Tress Way is amazing, and we'll back them up somewhere inside the 15-yard line, and we'll just play for a stop instead of giving them the ball at midfield if there was a chance that Dustin was going to miss the kick. Look, it worked that's, out. That's the answer that he would give you. It worked out. They threw an interception. Preston Smith had a huge interception, and that led to the touchdown. So it ended up uh, being a good thing. Uh, on Preston Smith, I, I think he and Kerrigan are having good seasons. What do you think? Yeah, I think they're both having good seasons. I think Preston's got more left in left in him this year. I think he's left a bunch on the table. And I'm not saying that he's not playing harder. He's not I, I think that you're gonna see more from Preston Smith. I think he's gaining confidence. I wish he'd go more speed rush to the outside because I think he's got good leverage and can turn the corner at seven or eight yards. I think if he'd set some stuff up with speed early, he could get back to some of the power stuff where he gets that one arm stab and drives. He's got good versatility inside. So I like that. And I like what they're doing with Kerrigan right now. You know, a lot of the plays that he's making, they're just telling him exactly where to go. They're stunting him. And, you know, a couple of the sacks come off of stunts. And I, Don't make him make decisions. Just give him some beeline straight to the quarterback. And that's where he's most effective. All right. How do they beat the Cowboys tomorrow? Exactly the same way they beat the Cowboys at home a couple of weeks ago. They stopped the run. And they frustrate Dak Prescott. They turn the ball over a couple of times, which they absolutely can do. And you find some ways to score offensively. You're going to have to protect Colt McCoy. You're going to have to have some good balance offensively. You know, I do think that they can run the ball. The, the game plan doesn't have to be crazy because you've seen this team before. Colt gets the game plan, so that's not a huge loss. And ultimately, you know, you control the ball. You run a little bit. You make a few plays. And you do exactly what you did to Dallas a month ago in terms of stopping their run. Do you think that if Jay's opinion on the off-season quarterback decision was the only opinion that mattered, that Colt McCoy would have been the starter for 2018 and they wouldn't have made a trade? They would have drafted somebody then. Okay, but would they? Right, have made, you would have had to acquire somebody. Would they've made the trade? Would they've gone with Colt McCoy as the starter if Jay's opinion was what the would only you one have that done? mattered? I wouldn't have gone with Colt McCoy as the starter. So would you have acquired Alex Smith? I, I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't. I uh, given given the situation they were in, where they didn't have, in my view, uh, you know, a sixteen game starting quarterback. I said this to you: if they don't like any of the young players in the draft, then go get somebody. Now, you know, I didn't want it to be. Remember, I was joking about Case Keenum before two thousand seventeen. Um, being the guy, but uh, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with the acquisition of Alex Smith. I had more of an issue, as you know, with the long-term contract extension. But at the same time, they weren't probably going to be able to pull that trade off without the commitment of some sort of long-term contract extension. 
I thought Alex Smith would have played better this year. I, I didn't. I, I didn't think he was as good as the last guy. I, and I'll never think that. But I thought he would have played better this year. I think that they look had it been just Jay's decision. I don't think he had truly gotten to evaluating quarterbacks yet. And I think he was going to start to spend a bunch of time evaluating quarterbacks. And something came up where they believed that Alex was the right guy. And our scouting department, you know, obviously evaluates all off season. And that was a decision that they made. I don't know what Jay's decision would have been right there. But he loves Colt. Well, everyone loves Colt. No, am I right about that? That he's very confident that things yeah. won't get any worse with Colt McCoy as the starting quarterback, and they might get better. Do you think he feels that way? I do. I think he's very confident that nothing will get worse, and to say that things might get better, I think, I think the, I think he feels things will be just fine. Uh, I'm sure he feels like they'll get better. I don't know. You said uh, at the beginning of this that you loved the Rams-Chiefs game Monday night. D- d- you you loved, uh, th- That game was obviously a memorable, one of the all-time memorable regular season games because of the scoring and the back and forth and all of it. Do, did any part of you watch that game and say it's too much? It's too no. much offense? No. No no part of me. Now, there were some parts of me that certainly said, Hey, Wade, Shields can't cover Tariq Hill. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Let's just stop with this tomfoolery. It's not going to happen. I, I, Tariq Hill is phenomenal, and his route running ability has gone through the roof. And I think Mahomes is very good. I think Mahomes get, being in those situations, he hasn't been in them this year. Well, only twice this year. In, in, in New England, I thought he was okay. You know, he threw a couple picks late. I will say this, though. I text Sean after the game and, and said to him, I am so impressed with your pre-snap ability. And you and I have done this multiple times as we were doing a show in terms of my importance on pre-snap, in terms of breaking the huddle and getting the line of scrimmage as fast as possible and going on first sound, breaking the huddle and going with a fly sweep motion, going on double cadence, going on dummy cadence, having a mixture of tempo where it is a full court press at all times. And it's funny because if you were watching the game, you could see multiple times where they were trying to talk about something and – all of a sudden, the Rams are on the ball, snapping the ball. Yes. The TV's got to, boom, pan right back. I'm hitting 15-second delay or 15-second fast-forward, and it's too fast before I get to the next play. The Chiefs' line was never set. The Chiefs weren't allowed to communicate. They messed with eye, eye discipline on almost every single play of the defensive players. Sean's not running a brilliant offensive scheme. He's running what people run on offense. I mean, common concepts and a lot of play action and they have some run that makes it scary. But what they do pre-snap, we've done this, me, you and I have done this multiple times. That's where you really mess with people. It's kind of my 20% theory. is 20% first sound, 20% double, double cadence, 20% motion and shift, 20% you know, hard count. Yeah, it's, yes. I mean, I, there were and co- if you watch the Rams, if you really pay attention to the Rams, why they're killing people is because it's not, it's not because they line up in the same look every single time. It's not because of the fly sweep motion. It's not because of Sean's brilliance in terms of creating some new passing scheme. It's what they do before the ball snapped. 
I noticed a couple of times, you know, in speaking to that, because you're right, it's different every time. Like, nobody can get into a rhythm. It's not the, we're not going to huddle, we're going to get to the line of scrimmage, we're going we're gonna to bark out a quick cadence, and then we're going to, you know, look to the sideline or wait to see what, you know, the play is. There were a couple of plays, Cooley, on Monday night, I noticed, where they actually stayed in the huddle, and then they s- almost sprinted to the they line of scrimmage and snapped it immediately. Yeah, and it's it's easy for a coach to establish this because you tag the plays on your play sheet before you go, even go into the game, where you're saying this is going to be. Let's just say that run out of the huddle calls. They call it like fire. So this is going to be a fire snap. So you go fire double right eighteen outside. And then if you're going to go no huddle on certain plays, and it's not every play. You don't have a, just a no huddle drive. You just have certain plays where all of a sudden you're at the line of scrimmage. You're snapping another one. I'm, I think Sean still calls that Apache. So then. Your next pass play is, you know, south right clamp, fake 18. Start with Apache. Apache, south right clamp, fake 18, keep left. And you get up the line of scrimmage as fast as you can at the next play, and you're going. And the coach just has to tag him pre-snap in, in his play sheet, and the, pra- the practice goes on as such that that's what they're going to do. And he and the quarterback communicate. The quarterback's favorite plays will be the hurry-up plays. Because he gets them completely, understands them. I had one criticism of Sean yesterday on the show, and it was not probably what you think it would be, because I had no problem with him being aggressive with the ball when Kansas City had three timeouts. I mean, Booger McFarlane and that, that horrible Monday night cruise talking about clock management errors, no. The goal in that spot was to never give Kansas City the ball back. Right. Um, but I didn't think that they ran it enough. I thought in a game like that game against Kansas City that they were able to run it when they did run it and that Gurley ended up with 12 carries and they threw it 50 times and ran it 21 times and I thought that they could have been much more balanced and it would have been a different game and maybe an easier game for them to win. Yeah, so I thought Kansas City should have run it more. I did too. I said the same thing. First and foremost, Secondly, I think Gurley got a little banged up in the first half. And then if you really watch the game, I think the first two drives of the second half, if not the first three, were three and outs for the Rams. And so once you don't get yards on first down, you're essentially throwing on second and third. Not another – oh, the second – no, no, no. They 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 scored at will um, in the to, first half. to start the second half. No, the second half, they had a couple three and outs. They did. Yeah, they did, but not early. Um, they scored because they, they took a thirty to twenty three lead. There's like fifty five drives by each it's, team in the game. It seemed, it was, it seemed it like made, it. So. It seemed like it. Here, I, 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 yeah. here's what I was surprised by. I was surprised by the fact that the Rams only ran seventy five plays. I, I would bet you they ran fifty in the first half. When I got through the first half watching, I thought they're going to run a hundred plays today. But let me just get back to what we were talking about. One of the reasons I felt, and I agree with you, I thought both teams should have been more balanced because the seven turnovers. And eight sacks were because defensively, both of those teams were just teeing off as if run wasn't even a possibility. I have no problem complaining about run. And I think you control the ball, but you still scored 54 points. I know. So I think if you're a play caller, you're going to look at the defensive coordinator and say, hey, if I score 54 today, can you win? It's it's okay, nuts. Okay. You have Indominus Sue and Aaron Donald, who my God is. Pro- you say, everything you say about Quill Mack, Aaron Donald's is 
maybe the defensive MVP. I, I said I, I, I totally agree with you. He's and the, I know that they're banged up a little bit in the secondary, which is probably why Kansas City didn't run it more, because the weakness for the Rams is not their front, it's their secondary. It's Scandrick. I mean, so, uh, well, Kansas, Chiefs, Kansas City's weak weakness in their secondary is, as well with Scandrick. Yeah, yeah, Kansas City's weakness is their secondary. I mean, so, uh, so when you're saying run it more, you're saying what, what is the other team's strength, what is the other team's weakness? The other thing that made it a 54-51 game was the turnovers, the defensive touchdowns, and 21 accepted penalties in the game. I thought um, the refing was excessive. Horrible. Overly involved and very inconsistent with some bad calls, and that was apparently an all-star crew they put on the game. Uh, one you know, more- it puts a lot of pressure on the officiating crew when – both teams operate that fast as well. I get, you know what? It's true, and and I would also say that probably a lot of those penalties. I'd like to know what percentage of the penalties were defensive holds or illegal contact because it seemed like a lot of them. And that may be the only way you can actually stop these two teams is to actually try to get away uh, with with holding and illegal contact. Um, what we saw Monday night was spectacular, but I actually have this thought right now. I think I said it yesterday, but I want to say it to you and get your reaction. I think New Orleans is better than both of these teams. And I don't think anybody's going to stop New Orleans. I think they may be the best team we've seen since the 2007 Patriots, who lost the Super Bowl to the Giants. But I, I don't see, I don't really see any weaknesses in the Saints. And the emergence of some of their defensive playmakers is why I think right now they are, they're not going to lose before the Super Bowl. I mean, they're going to the Super Bowl. I don't buy into the fact that this is the NBA now with three teams that can win the Super Bowl or throw in New England and that there's only four teams that can win the Super Bowl. I still think it's an any given week possibility. And when you start to get in the playoffs and you start to slow it down a little bit, there'll be more time to plan for them. The Rams have already played them. The Rams game, the Rams very well should have beat the Saints. They're, the, was, they're the only I, team that could do it, I think, in but the I, league. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints lose again. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints lose to the Cowboys, just so you know. The Cowboys match up well. They just, pull, they it's pull, matchups. They I mean, no one Thursday thought New night. England was going to lose in their undefeated season, but the Giants were the perfect team to beat them. I, I, you know what? I agree with you, and I actually think that this, you know, the, the conversation coming out of the Monday night game about how well this is the new NFL. Well, there are only really three teams that can do what happened on Monday night. I mean, Pittsburgh was shut out through three and a half quarters at Jacksonville. Like, if you want to throw them into that yeah, conversation. Pittsburgh 50 on Carolina the week before. I know, but but there, this isn't going to happen uh, outside of these three teams in, you know, maybe Pittsburgh. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I personally. The other team that's really. So here's the thing about these teams. They're, other than New Orleans, which still has a ton of speed, they're all built on speed. And the Bears are another one of those teams that, if they're coming together, are built with a ton of speed. Yes, that's the the way offenses are being built. The best offenses right now, because of the no contact rules, are little guys with speed can go crazy on you. Hill, Cohen, um, Kamara, and you know the Rams have some receivers who are uh, smallish, but they've got also the best back in the league. And yeah, but if you, th- I mean, when you think about it, really. 10 years ago, the trend was to have a big physical receiver right? because he was going to get jammed. You were going to jam and press guys to death at the line of scrimmage. That, I think New England was one of the teams that really started that in the early part of their Super Bowl run where they just said, we'll just hold everybody. And so now speed, because you can't really hold anybody, has become the new thing. 
I hope you're right. And I, you know, there, a few weeks ago, and I think we had this conversation, I think we did. I said, you know, with all the points that are being scored, there are actually some very good defensive teams in the league this year. Baltimore looked like it at one point. They've had some injuries. Um, Houston looks like it at times. Dallas looks like a pretty good defensive team. Chicago might be a very good defensive team. In fact, they're the surprise to me in the league right now, the, the, surpri- the, the surprise team, because I think everybody expected the Saints to be pretty good, the Rams to be pretty good. I, I, no one knew what Mahomes was. They weren't sure before the season. So obviously the Chiefs, the way they played. But no one saw this coming from the Bears. I'm just so disappointed that we didn't do our preseason pick and all the stuff that we always did you like every Chicago? year. Because your team was always Detroit or San Diego. Well, L.A. now. Mine was always the Bears. And obviously I would have taken the Bears because I had to take the Bears. And then I would have been, I would have been the one that would have you would have been, you would have been right. Uh, uh, my two teams. You know I would have, too. You know I would have had to take the Bears, you which is what I would have done. Yeah. Because I take them every year. But one of the reasons you took them is you also were a giant like Fox fan. Right? I like Fox. But yeah. how can you not like Nagy? I know. I mean... Andy Reid's coaching tree right now is ridiculous. Yeah, the um, my my two sort of surprise picks before the year: the Giants and the Ravens. The, the, <laughs> the Giants, the, yeah. The Giants are crazy because the Giants have some talent. I know, and they they've lost Saquon a Barclays. lot of close games this Saquon year. Barkley's an unbelievable player, incredible player. You know, they're three and seven. I'm, I'm they're not the playoffs, but they can beat anybody. Well, if they ran the table, they'd win the NFC East. <laughs> they would, yeah, they would. They, no, I, I don't know if they'd win the NFC East at nine and seven. Yeah, they would. T- the the winners. Yeah, well, first of all, if they, run, I still think, I, as you're talking about the NFC East, if the Redskins were to win on Thanksgiving, it's going to make it hard for Dallas to get to nine and seven. Well, it's going to make it impossible for really Dallas to win the division. There'll be three games behind the Redskins, two in the in the standings, and they will, the, you know, the Redskins. Will right, be it's going to make it really easy for the Redskins to get to nine and seven. It's going to make it really hard for Dallas to get to nine and seven. If Dallas wins, Dallas is is going to be a nine and seven team. They may be a ten and six team. I think this Dallas game is incredibly important. The Redskins were going to win. The Giants really aren't going to have a chance, even if they run the table, because I think the Redskins would have way, would have more tiebreakers, even at what they've done so far. A couple of their losses are to AFC teams. They would they, they would that, split with the Giants. That's right. They, they would. beat Dallas twice. They beat the Giants once. All they'd really have to do is beat Philly once, and you'd go division record, and the Redskins would have any tiebreaker with division record. Do you know right now Dallas is a prohibitive favorite to win Seven-point favorite. Well, they're a seven-and-a-half-point favorite tomorrow. They are a heavy favorite to win the division. I mean, they are minus – what is it, Aaron, minus 165, and the Redskins are plus 325 to win the division right now. The, what, the one week, Skins losing to Houston, Dallas beating Atlanta, the injury as well – um, has has flipped it so that Dallas is a prohibitive favorite to win the division. But if the Redskins were to win tomorrow, the It'll Redskins it will it would flip again. It would completely flip again. Um, I had one. This other... is the biggest game of the season. Oh yeah. I mean, this is this puts the Dallas was massive because you're looking at a couple six and three teams, and it's been forever since that had happened for the Redskins. But this is the game of the year. It's bigger for the Cowboys, but because they're they're I, out. I would. I mean, I'm going to argue that it's it's going to be. It's big yeah, for both, right, because the Redskins but it's bigger for the Cowboys. Be, the Redskins would still be alive in terms of winning the division. The Cowboys are essentially dead. Do you know what else they'd be alive for with a loss tomorrow? They're still in the in the wild card race. Oh, both teams are still in the wild card race. The, the Cowboys. Card, there's a bunch of four and four and five teams available to win, the, or four and six teams that can win the wild card. 
Exactly. Or six, four, five. What is it? Well, no, four you're six? no, you're right. I mean, virtually everybody in the NFC outside of Arizona, San Francisco, Tampa, and I guess the Giants, uh, everybody else is in a wild card race right now. With I know with six games left, two six and four teams, two five and five teams, like three four and six teams. Yeah, I mean the the, the one six, the Lions would be the last. Team the the Red the Redskins are a six and four team in first place though. Right now the wild card standings: Carolina would be the five seed, and the six seed would be Minnesota at five four and one. And then you've got the Cowboys at five and five, and then you've got you know Carolina right now is six and four, right? Yeah, they're six and four. They wouldn't. The Redskins beat the Panthers. They're six and four. They'd be the five seed. No, no, no. I'm saying if the the Redskins are a division leader right now, so the Redskins are. I a four understand seed right what you're saying. Yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. Well, you didn't understand. No, you I, just I figured do now. It out. Yes. I got you. I got you now. All right. All right. Have a good trip down to Dallas. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Maddie, and the kids. Um, and let's talk on Friday. Have fun with your 17 family members. All right, let me tell you about Window Nation. Uh, Harley and Aaron and Eric from Window Nation, they listen to this podcast all the time. And I'd ask that you give them a shot if you've been thinking about new windows. Now, if you're one of those planning to get up on early uh, Friday morning for Black Friday shopping, don't do it. Let Window Nation do the Black Friday shopping for you. They're not going to go to Walmart or Target, but... Right now, you'll get two free windows with every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There is no limit. Plus, 0% financing for five full years. And as a special Black Friday offer, here's where it really pays off if you let Window Nation do your Black Friday shopping for you. You'll get two free big screen TVs with the purchase of a house full of windows. You get a house full of windows and two free big screen TVs. Right now, free windows, free financing, and free televisions. Visit windownation.com today. They've saved customers an estimated $40 million in energy bills over the years. Save today, save tomorrow, save forever. 866-90-NATION. Two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free, no limit, plus 0% interest for five full years, and two free big screen TVs with the purchase of a house full of windows. This offers only good through Black Friday. Call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them I told you to call. All right, let's bring in Scott Van Pelt. Uh, we're off tomorrow, so he's going to join us today. Lots of football. Where does this week and this weekend sports-wise rank for you? I, it's my favorite of the year with the college basketball and all of the holiday football right through your normal you know, Saturday rivalry and NFL Sunday. Do, do, is this a, a one of the best sports weeks and weekends of the year for you? Without a doubt, without a doubt. And I was thinking that on Monday when you're watching like Maui, you know, you got like Duke was playing the afternoon or, or was it afternoon? It doesn't matter. Yeah. They're playing on on Monday for Maui. I've been to that event, which is, is out in Maui, which is phenomenal. It's such a cool event. Um, and, you know, you've got tournament hoop on Monday and Tuesday, and then you start getting some football on Wednesday, obviously. The football on in the NFL Thursday, college on Friday. I mean, it just it never stops. And this year, every NFL game is interesting, um, like significant and significant. Um, so it's it's uh, this this year in particular with Duke and Gonzaga out in Maui, and with um, with the great NFL, and then just the, the college football sprinkled in all all week long. It's 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 definitely one of the best. And, I, and for a lot of people, I get if you say the best. And, you know, the spring, the, the tournament weekends, and then you get that week where there's the Masters and opening day and 
and you know the NCAA final on that Monday. That's that's a great one too. But I mean, you know, it's like ice cream. Everybody likes a different flavor, but this is a good. One. Yeah, and the divisional round of the NFL, the second weekend of the playoffs is is always great. But Duke and Zaga, and we didn't even mention that this year. And I'm very excited to watch this on Friday afternoon. I'm going to pay for it to watch Tiger and Phil uh, go head to head for nine million bucks. Are you? I am. Uh, I can tell you this: I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to get away with it because everybody in my house will want to watch that on Friday afternoon. All of my boys mm. will be into that. It would be. The, the, it would be far more interesting to me if the money they put up was all their own. Um, watching them play for a significant amount of cash that isn't theirs isn't interesting to me. But they are going to, I guess, be able to have a bunch of side action. But that action. It, it goes to charity, um, but I guess it's their own cash. So I don't know. I mean, I had Phil on the show the other night. He yeah, watched it. There's going to be all this live action betting. There's going to be like drones covering it, and you know, I mean, he's he's the more he's the better salesman of the of the two. You know, I don't I don't think Tiger's going to be like the best, you know, carnival barker outside of the tent to get you to want to come in. Um, but I, I mean. It, I have a feeling it'll be interesting. I just, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to be, I'm, I'm down in the keys. I'm probably going to be at the beach. So I'm going to probably blow it off. You know, uh, the HBO has done sort of like they do with a big fight, you know, the build up show with the great narration from what's his name? Um, Lee Schreiber. Yeah. He's Lee Schreiber who does such a great job with that. Um, and I, I was watching some of it in, you would think these two guys have been super close for a long period of time. Is that true? No, no. So no, no. It, it it's happened over the course of their lives as they became, you know, grown ups and uh, dads and things like that. I mean, and and the, their role trying to help figure out the U.S. Ryder Cup team and the Presidents Cup teams. They they've definitely gotten closer over time, but they, they and it was much much more Tiger. Uh, that kept Phil out um, in at, in their younger years. I mean, I think I, I know I can remember specifically one time Tiger t- mentioning to me that Phil had asked to play a practice round in, in, in a major, and Tiger was just he he just scoffed at that idea. Like, why would I if I figured out how to how to solve the the, the riddle, right? If I've got the answers to the test. Why the hell would I share them with you if you can't figure it out? This is a, was at a point when Phil hadn't won a major yet. And I remember just T- Tiger just thought that was the oddest thing. I totally got what Phil was trying to do. He's like, man, this guy knows what to do. And I just want to play a practice round, see if he can share some of the stuff with me. And Tiger just like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Um, and again, over time, I think that, think that softened quite a bit. But no, I mean, the idea that they've been pals for decades is, is not accurate in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, Tiger said, though, that when he was going through his issues, Phil reached out uh, and was supportive of him. And, you know, at the same time, he said that that Tiger, um, uh, Phil said Tiger was very supportive of him when he, when his wife was going through what she was going through and some of the other things that he's been through. Um, it's an interesting you know, a relationship over the years because it, there hasn't been one based on what you just described, and that's from outside looking in what I always felt. But some of the, right, the but, yeah, go ahead. But to the point, just but that's what I mean. Like in, in life, when real life stuff creeps in and, and encroaches on things that you know what used to seem so, you know, so 
very important suddenly is and 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 when Phil and Tiger have supported each other through real life issues um I think that's that's where you find some common ground and you find some humanity in yourself you know and I I look I think it's great that they've that they've become as friendly as they have at this point I'm just telling you just the idea that it was sure. that way through forever was couldn't be further from the truth but it doesn't matter they're they're they're, they're where they are now and it, and it should be you know I look I think it'll be fun I just I know that I'm not going to be able to get away with parking my big caboose in front of the television for the next 72 well, hours. Well, your reaction to me when I said that, I mean, you you know how much my boys are into Tiger. You know, two, yeah. of, uh, two of my three boys, how much they're into to, to, to a Tiger Woods. Do you think that there's going to be a huge audience for this or not? I, I haven't followed any of the lead up in terms of what the expectations are. But it's not on, you know, on Friday afternoon in terms of college football, it's not a great Friday afternoon slate. Like Auburn, Alabama, yep. we've had that Friday afternoon sometimes, but that's on Saturday, and you got to wait till Friday night uh, for Washington, Washington State, Oklahoma, West Virginia for, for any real big football. So the, the golf could be like a standalone in the middle of the day on Friday. You're right. And, and I also think it's it's one of those things, like so many other pay-per-views, that the biggest driver of, of purchase is fear of missing out at the last minute, right? You're, yes. You're sitting there. If you if you are parked in, in front of the, the television, you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not that into this game or that game, and I want to watch. You know, I I think I, I think it'd be a decent you know a decent buy, but I don't have the first idea about what kind of uh, you know, numbers they're looking for or, or what would even be deemed a success. I, I don't have any idea. I know. It's just your reaction was you're really going to, you know, it's felt to me like you're really going to pay for that. I, I, I think I am. I mean, I, I don't, and, and, but you're, but you're right on all of those pay-per-view big fights. It always comes down to it's Saturday night, it's eight thirty nine, and it's like, yeah, I'll buy it. Well, I mean, what else am I going to do? Um, sure. But, uh, but you know, the hype during the, the midst of, of football season may get sort of, um, washed out, uh, by football season. All right, real quickly. Um, you pointed out uh, that some of these conference championship games are going to be anticlimactic, one-sided, or even meaningless, which means really Saturday is the, the opportunity um, to shake up these college football rankings. Do you think there's any shake-up Saturday? There's really only one game that seems like it's likely to, to do that, and that's Ohio State-Michigan. USC is not good enough to beat Notre Dame. South Carolina is probably not good enough to to hang for four quarters with Clemson, nor is Auburn good enough to hang with Alabama for four. So it's Ohio State, Michigan, and you you were at the Maryland game. I was watching it, and, and God, that was excruciating. I'm, I'm I'm sick for the kids at Maryland that they didn't win the game because I you know it was a play to win it, and unfortunately they weren't able to pull it off. But that Ohio State defense uh, isn't good. Um, it's the strength of Michigan's team isn't its offense, though it's its defense. So, um, you know, it it's the kind of game where I, th- I I work with a Michigan guy. My my producer is a Michigan guy, and he's convinced himself that that his team's going to lose because he just feels like that's what happens. Ohio State always beats us, and it'll be even worse than usual this year because now Michigan's a favorite in the Big House, which is amazing. Uh, but that's the only game that really provides any realistic opportunity for something to happen in this terrible college football season. I think the SC line 
I know it's 10, 10 and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's short. Uh, it's a bit short. Like I, I Yeah, I, but USC stinks. I know they do. But they have talent. Yeah, but you, you, and here's what you're going to do. And, the, and this is exactly what happened a few years ago with USC and Notre Dame. It was the game that I think people were openly – not you because you're a weird Notre Dame rooter. Um, <laughs> you have this strange sweet tooth for them, which I don't understand. Not, not as and, much as I used to. Well, yeah, but people like – like I didn't think Notre Dame was any good that year, so I was rooting for USC to beat them just because I didn't want Notre Dame to be the team that played Alabama. And then it turned out I was right. Alabama beat their breaks off in the title game. Um, but I think it's like you'll you look at the line, you go, you know what, USC, maybe they, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe they can hang for for two or three quarters, maybe two quarters. But I mean, the, Helton's done. The people out of USC are livid. I mean, I, I just I don't see how they summon whatever for for sixty minutes of football. And and Notre Dame, I mean, you were right about them last week. You felt like that number against Syracuse was was too big, and you know they won easy. So. Um, I, there's, I don't see that. I mean, you want to take USC and smell test, go ahead. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that there's any way they win the game. I am, I'm actually shocked that Clemson is a 26 point favorite over South Carolina. That's outrageously high. Um, considering that South Carolina has actually played pretty well recently. Yeah, they're not bad, but no, they're not. Is that about Clemson? Like they haven't given up a touchdown in like September. Is that true? I have not heard that stat. It, 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 it's something like they haven't given up a touchdown since September. I want to say it was like their first string defense. Whatever it is, it's it's some stat that just indicates how outrageously good they are. And, and in many ways, their defense is is on par with Alabama and their offense. While they don't have two of their their freshman quarterbacks, been great. I mean, I think we're on a collision course for Auburn, I mean, Alabama, Clemson, part, whatever this is. Yeah, probably. I, I, I do think, I do like Michigan State, um, I, Michigan State, I do like Michigan in Columbus. I've liked them all year, and I haven't really believed at all in Ohio State, and they should have lost last week. Uh, yeah. Last uh, thing we'll, we'll get to is what's going on, you know, uh, tomorrow. Uh, big in this city, obviously. Redskins, Cowboys, um, and you mentioned it. All three games tomorrow are important and good matchups. Detroit coming off that win. Maybe they can test Chicago. Trubisky's banged up. Uh, Redskins, Cowboys with Colt, and then you get to watch the, the show or one of the three shows of the league so far this year, New Orleans, um, on, on, on Thursday night. Who do you like in the yeah. Redskins-Cowboys game? Uh, Redskins. I, I like I like Colt McCoy in this spot. I think I think the team likes him. That's that's, that's what you've always kind of made clear to me that he's got a lot of respect in the room. Um, and I I just I don't think the Cowboys are that good. I think people are buying them all of a sudden. They beat the Eagles. They beat the Falcons. I, I like the Redskins to go in there uh, and, and win. And um, you, you mentioned the Saints as being the you know the the, the show, and they're the, they're the best team right now in the NFL. And I say that because they beat the Rams head to head when they played them three weeks ago. I, I didn't. I, I just want to ask you a question, if I could, real quick. Did you like Monday night? Um, I, I know where you're going with this, and I, I, I didn't. I, I yes, it was highly entertaining, and the back and forth nature of the game, you know, from start to finish, was breathtaking on on some level. I don't want to exaggerate it. It'll be a memorable game, one of the all time memorable games, because it was going in too. It was hyped that way yep. but um i didn't 
I don't think that this is the way the NFL's going. Like, I, and you, I, I'm not a Big 12 fan. I don't like 68-58. I love Saturdays because you get a little bit of everything. So a little bit of that stuff is fine, but a lot of it is not okay with me. I, I enjoy 17-14, uh, well-played, right. physical, hard-hitting as much as anything else in football. Yeah, I saw people that tried to say, well, you know, there was defense. There were three defensive touchdowns, and, the, you know, the Rams won the game because of two picks. And, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, look, we benefited greatly. There was a monstrous rating. We had a, an enormous rating for our show, and we're in the ratings business. So, I mean, you know, I should be happy and whatever. I just, at some point watching it, and, and you know, you know my guy Stanford Steve. I mean, he, he played he played, obviously, at Stanford. And he's not like some grumpy old man. But at, at some point during the game, he was just like, "This sucks." He's like, "This isn't even—it's it's not even like watching football." He's like, they're, "They're penalizing anything the Chiefs do." That's what I hated more and than anything. He's just like, "It's just—he's like, what are they, like, what's the point?" And you know, he's like, "It's like a seven-on-seven seven drill out there." And I would see—I land somewhere in the middle. I, I think you're talking about elite talent with offensive talent on both sides. I think you're talking about elite coaching on both sides. I, if every team could do some version of what those teams were doing, then they would. But, you know, like not every team is, is capable of it. So I don't think that everybody in the NFL, like, this is the new NFL. No, it's not because you just you need to have the, the scheme and the talent to pull it off. Um, but I, I, it got to the point where maybe it's like a little bit like candy. Like, sure, I, I enjoy candy a lot, but you just can't eat fistfuls of it for four hours. And at some point you're like, God, this is, this is enough, man. I just – I need to sit this out. So I don't know. I, I just was curious what, what you thought about it because it was the first time that I heard people who I think are smart push back a little bit and go, you know, look, I don't know about all this. This is maybe a little much for me. Well, what Stanford Steve said was the biggest problem I had with the game. I thought it was poorly officiated, overly officiated, um, inconsistently officiated, and I couldn't stand that part of it. There were 21 accepted penalties in the game for nearly 200 yards of of penalties. Um, and the reason you had you know seven turnovers and eight sacks is because neither team decided to run the football, which they could have. You know, Hunt and Gurley are t- they might be number one and number two in terms of the running backs in the league. Yeah, but Gurley got hurt early. I know. I, that, I, I, that, I, was, I don't know why the broadcast never pointed that out. They didn't. They didn't because I didn't know it until Cooley told it uh, told me. You know, thir- twenty minutes ago about that. Uh, well, Gurley got rolled up on in the first series. You saw him get rolled up on from behind. Right, like, but he was still didn't. in there, so I didn't realize that there was anything significant going on. I actually thought well, that the broadcast missed the penalty, the barrage of penalties. I was like, give me some numbers. It seems like in the first quarter, it seemed like Kansas City had like eight or nine penalties in a quarter. They and did. Was it? I, I never actually went back and looked at it. Well, I mean, we were kind of doing a running tally, and I, I mean, it, I, it, when I say they did, I don't know if it was the first quarter or the first quarter and change, but like, I don't know, whatever it was, the Chiefs had some preposterous number of penalties where I thought, you know, look, the Rams' offense is good enough. You can't you can't call every ticky tack foul, but they did. They called every everything for much of the game. I, I didn't love that part of it either. But I mean, look, it was incredibly entertaining. You get six lead changes, you get four lead changes in the fourth. I mean, you know, again, for us, it was awesome. People enjoyed watching it. I just, I just thought 
everyone's saying this is the new NFL. I don't think everybody uh, can do that. I think they, I totally agree with that. And they're really, you know, I said there are four teams and, and perhaps only three because, I mean, hell, Pittsburgh was shut out going into the fourth quarter, Jacksonville. And neither one of the three, uh, two teams we watch Monday night, nor, nor New Orleans, would have been shut out uh, at Jacksonville. But, yeah, I mean, the point is is that these three teams are truly unique right now. And of the three, this is just my view, Cooley disagrees. I think New Orleans is a cut above the other two. I don't see anybody at this point going into the Superdome and beating that team. You and I agree. And I, and I think it's I think where Goff and Mahomes will get someday, I think what you have in Breeze is what he is. He's a 39-year-old maestro. You know, he's at that at that Peyton Manning place now where he gets up to the line of scrimmage and he diagnoses immediately where you're weak and he's going to probe that. If it's if it's underneath, fine. If it's over the top, we'll do that. Whatever it is, he's going to do. And he is – like right now, if you can get them to punt, it feels like a miracle. Um, you know, they scored 50 – they've scored 52 in Cincinnati. They could have scored more last week against Philly, but eventually they took their, their foot off the gas. So, I mean, it's uh, – the, to me, this it's this not not the Saints and, and everybody else because there aren't that many other people. But I do think they're just an, a notch above the Rams, and um, you know, and the Chiefs who impressed me more in their two losses than any other place. Aaron, you know, they Aaron, trailed by they, they trailed by double digits, Kevin, at New England and at LA, and they came back and took leads in both games. I don't know how many teams in the NFL could do that. I just think they're so bad defensively that I I think they'll get beat in the AFC somewhere along the line at Arrowhead. I mean, they still have a game against the Chargers that'll decide the division potentially. Um, mm-hmm. a- any, anyway, all right. Uh, Redskins, Cowboys tomorrow. You've relived um, the story of, of your grandfather uh, <laughs> and Clint Longley 25 yeah. times, as you mentioned before this call. It's actually probably only been about four or five times because over the years, uh, when the Redskins and Cowboys have played on Thanksgiving, you've regaled us with the story of your grandfather, who was a wonderful man. Um, yep. and, um, and what happened to him in 1974 when Clint Longley came into the game and led the Cowboys back against the Redskins. You don't have to give us blow by blow, but for those that haven't heard the story, because it's a podcast now, and there are, there are certain people that didn't listen to the radio show that may be listening to the podcast and have not heard the story of Scott's grandfather right. on Thanksgiving Day 1974. Well, he, 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 had, a, he had a bad ticker. That was his description. He had a bad ticker. He had, he had a heart a heart issue. I think he was a little psychosomatic, but that's another story. Anyway, he, when when the stress would get high, he would pop nitroglycerins like Tic Tacs. Right? He had this little tiny vial of nitros, and particularly in Redskin games, he'd get the, the stress level would get high. So, my grandma, my mom, and my aunt are in the kitchen getting getting the, the the dinner together, and they were they're all my grandmother no longer with us, but wonderful cooks and have that innate ability to have the meal ready like the minute that the game ends. How they have that capacity, I don't know. They're out in the kitchen. They're getting things together. I'm a little kid. I'm back and forth from the TV room to the kitchen. How much time is left? Well, not that much. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Go back out. They got the ball back at Clint Longley's in. Grandpa's popping nitros like Tic Tacs. I go back to the kitchen. Now the Cowboys have the ball. The game's going to be over shortly. Grandpa's popping Tic Tacs. Go back out. Clint Longley throws a touchdown. Boom, grandpa's on the ground, heart attack. And I'm I'm now a little kid. I go back to the kitchen. I got to relate to the ladies. Grandpa's on the ground. What do you mean grandpa's on the ground? I don't know. Grandpa's laying on the ground. Call the ambulance. Here come the paramedics. I'm this little kid, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, the Cowboys killed my grandpa. <laughs> and as it turns out, uh, he 
was indeed having a heart attack, um, but it was relatively mild. Um, and the paramedics put him on the stretcher, but they said, we're going to just take him to the hospital. So they put my grandpa on a stretcher, put him in the back of the ambulance. My grandma says, I'm going to go with your grandpa. But, hey, everybody, you guys sit down and eat. And the, the, when I told you the story and when we relived it as a family, the part that we always think, did we really do that? And we did. We all just, just sat down ate. and ate Thanksgiving. Like, yeah, you know, he's, uh, he's going over to Sibley, but we're going to sit down and we're going to eat this dinner. And my favorite part of the story is, is, you know, to be able to smile and remember my grandpa because – he lived for, you know, another 20 years. It was, as I said, it was a relatively mild episode. And, um, you know, he too would enjoy laughing at the story about how, you know, those, uh, those SOB cowboys, you know, they tried to kill me, but they missed, you know? Um, so that was, that was the, the cliff's notes, but most of the story of, uh, the day Clint Longley and the Cowboys tried to, uh, put Lorenzo in the dirt, but they, like, they, like he used to say, they missed, they didn't, they didn't get him. Yeah. It's, it never gets old. Just you, I think a lot of uh, Thanksgiving dinners were ruined and a lot of people felt ill, but not as ill as <laughs> Scott's as Ill grandfather as <laughs> did. All right. Happy Thanksgiving. You too, my friend. I'm sure we'll talk, uh, throughout the holidays and, uh, to everybody out there, you guys enjoy the, enjoy the time. And, uh, hopefully the Cowboys don't, uh, hopefully the Cowboys don't make any of us uh, sick tomorrow afternoon you've already picked the redskins so we're, you're on record all right thanks go. appreciate it all right man ferris chrysler dodge jeep in fairfax should be on your list right now if you're considering something new for the holidays i have talked about ralph perkins and kevin ferris over the years they have been so good to this podcast as we launched it in september i promise you that they are smart they know customers they know what you want uh, they're not going to disappoint them if you give them a chance. Their sales team, experienced. Most of their sales reps have been at Farish for 20-plus years. Their service department, the best. If you've got a scheduled service, you're in and out of there very quickly. Right now, it'll take you two clicks at FarishCars.com to get their inventory and pricing with their best deals. That's how easy it is. If you want to head out to Farish, they're right there in Fairfax Circle. Just ask for Ralph Perkins when you get there. Plenty of inventory on the lot right now. Whatever you're looking for, you'll likely find it in the make, model, and color and be able to drive it off the lot. If you like this show and you're thinking about buying something new, I promise you, I give you my word that you will be taken care of at Farish. Find out all they have right now. Live inventory, live pricing at FarishCars.com. Let's do a quick NFL buy or sell. Are you buying or are you selling? NFL buy or sell. I'm going to buy one thing and sell one thing right now, and that is the Chicago Bears on the buy side. And on the sell side, the Green Bay Packers. So both of them are coming from the same division. Chicago has been the biggest surprise to me because even as they were compiling, you know, a decent record here early in the season, you know, I was looking at it and saying, oh, they beat the Cardinals, they beat the Buccaneers, they lost to the Dolphins, they beat the Jets, they beat the Bills. In the last two weeks, though, they've beaten the Lions and the Vikings. And the Vikings game, the score, wasn't necessarily indicative of how much they beat the Vikings down. The Vikings couldn't run the football at all to save their life. 14 carries, 22 yards in the game. And the Viking quarterback, I forget his name, um, was under more pressure than any quarterback has been all season long in terms of how quick the pressure came. That was a stat during the game on Sunday night. 
look, Chicago is legit good on defense. They're the number three defense statistically in the league, yards allowed. I don't necessarily love that stat, but they're third in defense on third down. They're number one in takeaways. They've got 27 on the year. Offensively, you know, Tariq Cohen is another Kamara Tyreek Hill type. He's impossible to check. Uh, he's also a lethal uh, returner uh, for them as well. Now, the one weakness they have, uh, they actually have a kicker that's not very good in Cody Parker. He's missed five field goals. He's missed two or three extra points on the season. Now, Trubisky apparently got hurt a little bit in that game on Sunday night, so his status for the game in Detroit tomorrow um, is up in the air. I would assume that he would play. I think that's uh, the Bears are saying that they're cautiously optimistic about Mitch Trubisky playing. <clears throat> he injured his throwing shoulder very late in the game on a hit by Harrison Smith. Uh, it was near the end of that game. He had an outstanding game uh, during that football game. Their offense is much better than I thought it would be. Their defense is lights out. You know, that's one of those matchups you could potentially get in the postseason where you get, you know, defense with some ability, with some playmaking ability, a lot of it, and Cohen in particular on offense, and Robinson is an ad, and Anthony Miller, who's really coming on, against a Rams or Saints team that would be, you know, a real contrast in styles. I want to see some of those games in the postseason. I want to see New Orleans against a great defense. I want to see Kansas City against a great defense in the postseason. I'm buying the Bears. Um, I don't know what happens tomorrow. I actually think they could get tested tomorrow in the short week going on the road after a Sunday night game. You know, it's what the Redskins did two years ago on Thanksgiving. They played Green Bay in the Sunday night game, went to Dallas. It's really unfair. Uh, you know, that, that team that plays on the road on Thanksgiving Day should play a 1 o'clock game on Sunday, not a Sunday night game. So I think tomorrow could be a competitive game. Um, the game that you gotta look forward to is is Bears Rams in in Chicago on December 9th. That's a Sunday night game. There's a lot of great primetime games the rest of the way. Uh, I gotta I gotta I have a feeling that the Packers right now are to be shorted, and I may regret saying this because you don't you just don't short Aaron Rodgers, and they do have the Cardinals and the Jets and the Lions still on the schedule. That could be three wins right there to get him to seven. But they need two more than that. That means they've got to beat the Falcons, the Vikings, or uh, on the road in Chicago. They'd, they'd have to win basically two of those three. All right, do the math. They are four, five, and one. All right, they have games against the Cardinals, the Jets, and the Lions. I'll give you three wins there to get him to seven. Then at Minnesota, at Chicago, in Atlanta at home. I mean, you got to get two of those three. It's possible that they get two of those three. Right now, at Chicago, doesn't look good. I don't think they're going to win Sunday night in Minnesota. I think that's a tough spot for them. Minnesota's defense is getting better. Chicago shredded them a little bit. Um, but I have a feeling Minnesota's defense is getting a little bit better, getting a little bit healthier. Uh, I, I'm going to short the Packers. I, I don't know that they're going to make the postseason, and I know a lot of football fans want to see Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. I don't think it's going to happen. Let's finish up the show with Andy Poland. 
Happy Thanksgiving to you and Arlene and the kids in advance. Uh, I hope you guys have Thank a great day you. tomorrow. What is your what, what is your plan? I know that there have been some of these Thanksgivings over the years where they've basically given you, given you a card table and a turkey sandwich and put you mm-hmm. in a room by yourself. What's the plan for tomorrow? Well, about 10 years ago, uh, my mother-in-law had a 25-inch television, which was insufficient <laughs> for football watching on Thanksgiving Day. So I bought her a new television set. And everything worked out great, even when the Redskins played on Thanksgiving, that I was allowed, because I had provided such a great television, to watch the game while everybody else was eating. And this year, she has retired from preparing the meal. And the dinner has now been shifted to my brother-in-law's house. And not knowing the lay of the land, I have said that I am not going to attend. And uh, Arlene and Samantha and Jeremy will be going up there, and I'll be home by myself watching the game. Wow. <laughs> Seriously, you said you're not going? Yeah. Well, w- w- was your was your brother-in-law not going to allow you to watch the game? Well, again, I don't know, you know, I knew the field in Charlotte's house, in my mother-in-law's house. I don't know the lay of the field and I can't Why didn't you just get the lay of the Why didn't you get the lay of the field and then make a decision afterwards? You can't make a decision afterwards. It's too late. I need to watch the entire game. No, I mean, why didn't you? A... Why didn't you find out before Thanksgiving yeah. if if your your in laws were going to have an issue with you watching the game on a on a? Oh, I know that they wouldn't have an issue, but I need to have silence. I can't be too close to the oh, table boy. and the conversation bleeding into the commentary. I got to do four hours with Tom on Friday morning. I got to know what I'm talking about. Well, that's, you know what? That's a good answer there. You got to work on Friday. And Tom, yeah, Tom mentioned yeah. it. So you can listen after, of course, you listen to my podcast on Friday morning, <laughs> Friday morning, you can tune in to Andy <laughs> and Tommy together on 106.7 on the day after Thanksgiving. Actually, we'll be, uh, we'll probably be done before you put yours out because we're going six to 10, six to 10 a.m. Well, we get, like we get, we get it out super early on uh, the day after okay. the game, but, um, Anyway, uh, I will be listening to you both on Friday morning as well. All right, uh, what do you got for me before we finish up the show with our picks? Okay, let me take a look back at, obviously, the worst Thanksgiving Dallas game for the Redskins, which we all remember was in 1974 when they played Clint Longley and the Dallas Cowboys. You know, let me me interrupt for one second because um, you weren't able to hear it because we do this podcast thing, which means you can't listen to it uh, until Mm -hmm. you're on. But Scott was just on with us, and as he's done many times, and maybe you yeah. remember him telling the story about yes. how Clint about how Clint Longley nearly <laughs> killed his grandfather on Thanksgiving Day, nineteen seventy four. But go ahead. Yeah, neither of my grandfathers were sports fans, so there was little risk <laughs> at nineteen seventy four of that happening. But uh, this was at Texas Stadium, and here's the thing that you have to remember about this: people wonder why was Clint Longley playing? Well, early in the season. After Craig Morton had lost the quarterback battle for good to Roger Staubach, he demanded a trade. And here's how things have changed dramatically. During the season, they traded to to an in-division rival. He was traded to the New York Giants. And so lead up to the game, the big trash talker, of course, for the Redskins was Dyron Talbert. And he said about Staubach, Jesus, you know, we knock him out of the game. All they have is this kid. 
Well, in fact, that kid was Clint Longley, who came into the game through two touchdown bombs, one of them 50 yards to Drew Pearson in the final minute, and the legend of the Mad Bomber was born. The Redskins, though, what's also important to remember, they did make the playoffs that year, yep. and the Cowboys did not. Right. So that was good. Uh, let me fast forward to November 28, 2002. This was uh, Cowboys winning over the Redskins 27-20. to 20. This was 28 years to the day after the Longley disaster. Redskins actually had playoff hopes with Danny Werfel at quarterback at five and six. Remember, he had beaten Kurt Warner and the Rams at home the week before. Right. And looked looked pretty good in the third quarter. They built a twenty to ten lead through touchdown passes to listen to these names. Rod Gardner, Zeron Flemister, and Darius Thompson. But uh the extra point by James Tuthill was blocked. You may remember that a knee went to his face mask and smashed his nose, got all mangled up, made some people lose their appetite. Anyway, Werfel threw a short pass over the middle to Kenny Watson. The ball bounced out of Watson's hands into the hands of Roy Williams, who went in for a five-yard touchdown. They got to within three, and then a 41-yard touchdown from Chad Hutchinson to Joey Galloway mm. was the game winner there. And I guess, you know, everybody has their memories of the 2012 game with Robert Griffin III. A couple of things that you might not have remembered from that day. Uh, After the game, Jerry Jones in the locker room says, really, I was in awe. I was disappointed in our play, but I was in awe of RG3. (laughs) And then then Jimmy Johnson on the postgame show on Fox said, I think he's the most valuable player in the National Football League. He's that good for a rookie. It's amazing. I haven't seen anything like it. And just like that, it was gone. Right? Well, yeah. Well, it wasn't uh it wasn't gone. That was look, there were many highlights from, you know, starting with the Minnesota run, um that ele- you know, the electrifying run against the Vikings. Um he he made some plays against the Giants in in the game they lost. Remember 4th and 10 and he's running around all over and he throws to Logan Paulson at the last mm-hmm. second. Um, but that Cowboy game was nearly – probably was his last great memory because um, they – you know, he got hurt two games later. I think it was two games later he got hurt against the Ravens, and then it was never the same, even though he engineered uh, with the help of Alfred Morris the win over the Cowboys at the yeah, end of the yeah, season. No, but 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 it was basically Alfred Morris running for 200 yeah. yards in that season finale. And I think Romo threw three or four interceptions in that game as well. So – that was a big factor. Let me give you a couple. I don't know how much you've talked about Colt and the game that he won in Dallas. A little bit years h- ago. here and there this week, but go ahead. A, a couple of notes on that. Uh, that was a Monday night game. So on Sunday on the NFL Today, they're discussing the game. And Tony Gonzalez is saying, you know, maybe if they don't have any turnovers, they have a chance. And Bill Cowher starts laughing. And Gonzalez says, well, what's so funny? He said, well, you say Colt McCoy as if they have a chance. And then the <laughs> other guys started started needling Gonzalez a little bit. He says, okay, okay, they've got no chance. And then, of course, uh, they went out and won the game. You remember, too, Tony Romo started that game, got hurt. Yeah. Brandon Whedon came That's in. That's right, and, and then played Romo well. Came in, yeah, came, came in and, and had a chance to uh, to pull it out, but uh, couldn't quite get it done, and the Redskins won the game 20-17 to in overtime. Yeah, it was it, that was an incredible uh, game, and 
And, you know, I mean, we've said this so many times when we've talked Redskins Cowboys over the years, you, you know, when you least expect it, expect it. And that was one of those situations where they were a nine and a half, 10 point underdog on the road. Uh, against a team that was having a great season. You know, the Heath Schuler game when the Cowboys were on their way to a Super Bowl, yeah. you know, in 1995, and they were a 17-and-a-half-point dog, and the Redskins went in and won the game. It, it it happens. I mean, this isn't the situation you have tomorrow, um, but the Cowboys, and I've mentioned this a couple of times already today on the podcast, they are now a prohibitive favorite to win the division. Now, it would flip tomorrow if the Redskins won. The Cowboys' chances of winning the division would be next to, to nothing if they lose tomorrow it's a it's a bigger game for Dallas than it is for the Redskins yep. but um the Cowboys right now I mean Andy in Vegas are a massive favorite to win the division after one week after one yeah, well, I mean, week last week with the with the injury and the two the, their win and the Redskins loss yeah yeah I you know obviously you lose your starting quarterback everybody says well you know how are you going to be able to overcome that? They didn't really overcome that with Cole. Now this this game that they won four years ago. Realize how bad things had been, not just for the quarterback position, but for the team. They had lost nine straight games on the road, eight straight division games, and seven straight prime time games before they finally won that Monday nighter. But also, you got to remember, Griffin starts the following week at Minnesota, and then gets progressively worse over the three games he starts: Tampa Bay, San Francisco. Colt comes back, plays very well, but they get bombed by Indianapolis, 49-27. Then they lost to the Rams, and this is the game that people are forgetting about now as they project that Colt is going to be so much better with the offense. He couldn't do anything. He was was sacked six times, intercepted twice, and they lost 24-0. And then he got hurt early in the Giants game the following week. And anybody who thinks that Mark Sanchez is not going to take the field at some point this year, I think there's a better than 50-50 chance he will. Uh, I mean, if history is is the measuring stick for him with respect to health, um, there's a pretty good chance yeah. that Sanchez will be on the field as the starter at some point this year. You know, the game two years ago, um, I I felt going into that game that that was the biggest Redskins-Cowboys game. Look, the 2012 season ender was big because it was for the division, yeah. but the Cowboys finished that. They were 8-7 and seven going into that game. It was a big game at FedEx, and the Redskins won it, and, and they won the division. Um, but the, the number of times that, that the Redskins and Cowboys had met with really good records. Remember, the Redskins had just beaten the Packers on Sunday night. Uh, 42 to 24. The Skins were six three and one. The Cowboys were, I think, nine and one uh, going into that Thanksgiving game uh, two years ago. Uh, Doc said to me he had never seen that new stadium, the new Jerry Jones uh, Stadium, that you know electrified before a kickoff. I can remember what it felt like watching that game early in the game. I think it may have been and may still be the highest rated game Fox has ever had. The game two years ago, which means tomorrow's game is going to be off the hook too but uh, that was a great football game that Thanksgiving yeah. Day game the Redskins lost that game 31 to 26 because they could not get a stop to save their life their defense was terrible in 2016 but that was an incredible football game uh, and I think we're going to have a really good game tomorrow so let's finish up the show with Redskins score and more time to settle the score is score and more alright give me a prediction well, everybody thinks that the offense is going to explode with Colt McCoy. I, I just don't see it, and I don't see them scoring 21 points, which is what it's going to take to win this game. So I think Dallas wins 
21 to 17, and they have a big, I think, second half comeback. I think the Redskins score a couple of touchdowns early, but Dallas is just going to be too much in the second half for them. You know, for as long as I've known you, your mm-hmm. go your go to move is can they score twenty one points? You know, and, this year they can. I know, they and, can't. and you're saying you're saying that uh, a few nights, uh, a few days after a fifty four to fifty one game on Monday night, and Scott and I were just talking about we don't think that this is actually the future of the NFL. What we saw on Monday oh, night, there only I don't know about that. Yeah, there are only three teams that can do that. You got to have a special special group uh, to be able to do right, that, but. But but realize this, the way the rules are being tailored for safety and other reasons, they are encouraging this. We had Tom Brady sacked and a defender dropped off because he thought he was going to get a penalty and Brady went in the end zone. You, this is a move towards this, and the league the ratings were fabulous. I, think, I, I don't know if you're going to get games routinely in the 50s, but scoring is going to go up. Well, it is up, and I don't disagree with anything you've said. I just don't think all of a sudden we're going to end up with Big 12 football where we've got 60 to, you know, to 54 games, which, oh, oh, by the way, you know, if that game had gone to overtime at 54-54, more likely than not with the way that game was going, it would have been ended on the first drive with a touchdown, 60 to 54, yeah. and that would have mm-hmm. broken Redskins Giants 72-41 had it ended 60 to 54. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, I also think about that. In that era, the Redskins scoring 72 points yeah. when, you know, you could basically tackle receivers in the open field. That's amazing. Well, you've had eras in the NFL. You go back to the 50s, there were lots of points scored. Uh, in the 50s, there was that stretch, you know, after the five-yard chuck rule um, was put mm-hmm. uh, in, into place in the 80s where the Chargers and the Bengals and yeah. lots of teams were scoring regularly in the 30s and, and 40s. Um, we, we've had those stretches in the league. Nothing like what we saw, though, uh, on uh, on Monday night. Uh, yeah. So your final score prediction was once again, I'm sorry? I, I think the Cowboys win 21-17. 21-17. I see a low-scoring game, too. Um, I, I see after the Monday night thing that we just witnessed, uh, I, I see a game that will end up under the total. It's 40-and-a-half. It's the lowest total, I think, on the board, which means that the Redskins are involved for the second consecutive week in a game that is the lowest total uh, on the board uh, for obvious reasons. They have not been able to score um, very much and during the, the course Cowboys. of the season. I mean, yeah, Cowboys' no. strategy is the same as and, and Houston, they run the football. Yeah, and Houston also. So you know, it's a combination yeah. of both. Um, uh, boy, the line being as high as it is, most of you would think I would think the Cowboys would be a smell test pick. They're not. In fact, let me just mention real quickly: I don't have a smell test pick. I would lean Detroit tomorrow plus the three in the first game. Um, but other than that, uh, the the smell test will have to wait until Friday's show. Um, with all of the picks for for Saturday and Sunday. Again, a lean on Detroit, not an official pick, and I've been red hot here over the last two weeks in the NFL. Um, But uh, I I don't – Dallas, the the action is is fairly split. I see a close game. I I see 20-17, to um, and I will go Cowboys 20-17 to in this particular game. I do think that the offense is going to be better with Colt McCoy. I think we're going to see glimpses um, of that uh, tomorrow. But Dallas is a very good defensive team. 
Um, the Redskins have, you know, several good defensive teams the rest of the way. They have the Cowboys. They've got Tennessee. They've got Jacksonville. Uh, the Giant defense is talented, even though it hasn't played well. And Philadelphia's defense, forget what you saw against the Saints, um, the Philadelphia defense is pretty good also. So I, I like the Cowboys 20-17. to 17. I think the Redskins are going to have a chance, though, to win this game. Uh, but it's a walk-off field goal to uh, give Cal- the Cowboys a share of first place. And actually, I think based on tiebreakers, they would be in first place. But it's not going to end the Redskins' season. It would be a big blow to the Cowboys' chances to win the division. It would make it nearly impossible for them to win the division if they lose to the Redskins tomorrow. Um, but the Redskins would still be sitting there at 6-5. and five in the- And really, in play, wouldn't just be the division for the remainder of the year. They would still be in the hunt for a wild card as well at 6-5 and five, um, with five also, games to go. It makes it makes then the Philadelphia game the next oh, game yeah. that they absolutely have to win because then that sets up for the big Monday night. So well, yeah. well, ha- how about how about this is a possibility? Okay, the Eagles have the Giants this week to get to five and six. The Cowboys, if they were to win six and five, Redskins at six and five, and then the following week the Cowboys play the Saints. Let's assume they lose to go to six and six, and the and the Eagles beat the Redskins. You've got a three way tie for first with three teams at six and six. So that's yeah, which then if if they stay in it, that makes the final game against Philadelphia maybe yeah, a winner take all. It certainly could. It certainly yeah, could. Yeah. Uh, the point is, they're you know even with a loss tomorrow, they're going to be very much in this thing, um, well into December. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Um, happy Thanksgiving to you, Arlene, the kids. Uh, I will talk to you next week. I appreciate it. Same to you. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, Andy, he gets to stay home by himself on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and watch the game. He laid down the law this year. Uh, This game tomorrow, I was reading some of the quotes already coming out of Dallas. Um, Jerry Jones said in the locker room after they beat Atlanta uh, that this is is what it's all about. He said, playing your arch rival on Thanksgiving Day in front of your own fans um, with a chance for first place. Stephen Jones said, it's huge. The Redskins on Thanksgiving, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, the Cowboys remember after they lost to the Titans on Monday night to fall to, um, at that point, right, they were 3-5 and five after that loss. And there was all the talk about Jason Garrett isn't going to survive and Dak Prescott isn't the answer and what's going on with Zeke Elliott. The one thing that you noticed about the Cowboys this year, and I said it even after that Tennessee game. Remember, Aaron, I said they, that game was an odd game because the Cowboys had a chance to have a 17-0 lead and they're really good on defense they are really good on defense Um, they've been good on defense all year long the Cowboys have given up just once this season uh, more than 24 points in a game and that was to the Titans on 28-14 and it took some turnovers for that to happen Uh, in the last two weeks they went into Philadelphia and won they went into Atlanta and won they held the Falcons to 19 points now they controlled the clock. They controlled the ball. Um, they've got you know some some versatility now. The last few weeks because of yes, Amari Cooper. He's helping out, and they've run the ball the last two weeks with Zeke Elliott. That is a massive key to the game tomorrow. The Redskins' ability to stop the run. I think it's one of those things early in the game you're going to see. Are the Redskins able to stop Zeke Elliott? Are they going to put that the game in the hands of Dak Prescott, which is what they have to do? 
to win the game. Uh, Cowboy Clay uh, wanted so badly so badly to weigh in and actually he's probably upset because I actually was going to have him on the show but we had too many guests and it got too long but uh, his uh, very sarcastic message was uh, we're going to do our best facing what appears to be insurmountable odds against the division leader with a quarterback that is undefeated against us we were dominated earlier this year and Zeke was held under 35 yards I hope we don't embarrass ourselves and make me throw up in my Thanksgiving meal Historically, he says, the Skins have been very successful against us on Thanksgiving, as you know. Boy, I hope we show up to compete. Uh, That is sarcasm. The Redskins have won once uh, against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. The Redskins and Cowboys will will be playing for the ninth time on Thanksgiving Day. There are only a few matchups, and they're all... Uh, I think they're all uh, Lions matchups with division opponents like the Packers because the Lions played that Thanksgiving Day game long before the Cowboys started to play that game. But this will be the ninth matchup, Redskins-Cowboys, on Thanksgiving, more than any other that the Cowboys have had. Uh, And it promises to be a big one. At least, you know, there have been so many of these Redskins-Cowboys games in recent years that haven't had big stakes. The one tomorrow does. Have a great Thanksgiving, all of you. As mentioned, we'll be back with an earlier-than-normal podcast on Friday morning recapping Cowboys Redskins. Have a great meal. Travel safely. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Cooley. And thanks to all of you. Uh, Happy holidays. Be back on Friday.